Hey guys, welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And I'm so excited about the guest we have today. My guest is a food and lifestyle expert with more than 20 years experience as a creative director, lending her design expertise to clients like Food Network Kitchens, U.S. Food, Meredith Publishing, Crate and Barrel, and many, many more. She's directed award-winning publications and including Food Fanatics, Sweet Paul, and Uncrate. She's the founder and creative director of The Kitchen Toke, the first media brand Direct, dedicated to promoting health and wellness through culinary cannabis. Welcome, Jolene Rivera, to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Jolene, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited and happy to meet you. Absolutely, really happy to meet you. And I've got to thank you for the little care package you sent me. Uh, oh, I, good. I got your copy of your magazine, and I also got a copy. Uh, I got some of your your honey that we're going to talk about a little later on, and also your honey hemp balm. And I'm, I'm really happy to say that the flavor is unbelievable. It's really good. And, and thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Absolutely. Now, let's talk a little bit about your background. You know, um, you have a really impressive background in the food and lifestyle, media and arts. How did you get into this as a career path? Well, in all honesty, I think I started when I was 10. I used to uh, draw letters when I was little. I was always drawing or scribbling something. Uh, as I was growing up, though, uh, College wasn't really discussed in my home. I, uh, I come from a single family upbringing. I was a latchkey kid. I um, really didn't think about college. I was just trying to make it through high school. And when I finished high school, I got my first job in a print shop and I learned about woodblock typesetting and um, printing as a whole. That's when I knew I, I started to fall in love with typography. And I didn't realize that I could actually study typography in college. So I, after I got that first job, then I decided, you know, I, I really need to get myself through college. I needed to figure out a way. I didn't have the benefit of help from my parents. They couldn't afford it. And I needed to figure out how I was going to, you know, make this happen for myself. So I put myself through undergrad school and um, uh, studied graphic design and creatives and journalism. And then I went into a job at Meredith Publishing. It was my very first job. Uh, six months before I graduated, I was offered a job at Meredith Publishing for Country Home Magazine as their senior designer. I spent five years there and kind of cut my teeth on a lot of different publications, Better Homes and Gardens, Country Home, things like that. And what kind of things were you, were you reporting or were you just typesetting and printing? What were you doing? Well, I had a, uh, at that point, I had a four-year degree in graphic design from Drake University. So I was hired as a senior graphic designer for um, Country Home. So I was laying out pages, combining pictures and words. My job was about communication. Okay. And then, so now you, how many years did you do that before you got decided to get into actually creating, you know, what you've done today? Well, I spent five years there, went out on my own. Uh, I, and I should say, you know, I, I did pursue a master's degree while I was working at Meredith Publishing. They offered to pay 80 to 85% of that. And I took advantage of that. 
And um, five years in, I decided to go out on my own. And my first freelance job as a graphic designer or creative director, if you will, was working uh, for the Meredith Publishing Book Group. They hired me to design their series of cookbooks for Food Network Kitchens. And that was, you know, I'm going to be honest, I, I lied, you know, when I, they asked me how much food experience I had, I said, oh, I can do this. <laughs> and I threw myself into it and I learned you know, on the job as quickly as I could. I was a, I was a quick take. And um, I spent five weeks in New York at the Food Network behind the scenes with the food uh, folks there and the culinary director producing uh, this cookbook series. And we, I think we did four. Okay, but then what drove you to combine food and cannabis? When did you start becoming interested in cannabis? Was it because of a personal interest or what was going on? Well, I, I'm going to be honest, it had to, t it took something really big for me to do it. Uh, growing up, um, I grew up around cannabis. It was, I always associated cannabis with the party scene. I didn't look at it very positively. That's for sure. Um, drug and alcohol addiction runs deep in my family. And that was something I would have done anything to stay away from. So I was very hyper aware and, um, I had to change my thinking real quick. In 2011, my very good friend's father was diagnosed with cancer. And I had heard a lot, you know, being in the food space, traveling around the country, reporting, you know, on the food industry with chefs. I knew that some chefs were cooking with it. I'd heard about that. I'd heard about people using it for cancer. So I started to really dive in and read about cannabis. And that's when I discovered that there wasn't anything there to help me or that was, you know, directed at me. I wasn't, um, I didn't feel like I was very much a high times per reader, that I wasn't their market. I wasn't uh, a cannabis now market, you know, it, the big buds on the cover, was, it was intimidating to me. And I was really looking for, you know, an entry level, some something that spoke to me where I felt like I could enter it uh, read about the plant that made it easier for me to understand the benefits and not so much the chemical compounds. I mean, I found myself reading medical journals anyway, but, you know, I really was looking for something that spoke to, I guess, mainstream. But this is back in two, you said 2011. And I know for a fact that there was not much information available back in 2011. You had to really dig deep to find any information that discussed you know, one, just cannabis period, some of its component parts that are associated with medical attributes, and then trying to figure out how to infuse it in something edible that would still be of a medicinal value. So, I mean, where did your search take you back that far ago, that long ago? Uh, it was, um, I was looking at YouTube videos. There wasn't anything I really trusted as far as cooking goes. And so by the time 2016 rolled around, to be honest, I had been doing a lot of reading, but I really didn't buy into everything I was reading. Uh, I knew there was a lot of anecdotal stories. And, you know, when those anecdotal stories start to stack up, you start to pay attention. And he, uh, my friend's father, um, and she's on my kitchen talk team, Nellie Williams, um, he was losing his cancer battle. And that's when I asked a couple friends of mine here in Chicago who were cannabis fans, users, do they know someone who could help me produce a, a dark chocolate? He had lung cancer, so I knew he wasn't going to be smoking anything. 
uh, a dark chocolate with that had a high THC that might help him. And when they helped me get that done, I drove them to Missouri because Missouri just went medical last year. So they had nothing available for him. And he was really receptive. He ate three of them really quickly, which at the time I didn't even know that you shouldn't do. So, um, but what are you going to tell somebody who's, who's tried every single trial he could get himself involved in to, to do anything, you know, to help his cancer. And he, his neck was three times the normal size. It was choking him from the inside. It was in his lymph nodes and he was uncomfortable, couldn't eat, couldn't sleep, couldn't relax. Um, so when he ate the chocolates, it was a, in, within about 45 minutes, there was a visible difference and shift in everything about him. So much so his six daughters who were there in the room with us, uh, they were crying. They hadn't seen their dad have that kind of relief in a long time. It was emotional, it was moving, and it was enough for me to come home and say, okay, there, I've always been really big proponent of self-care. So it was important for me to dig into that. And then I guess by about 2016, you were able to start finding out some information about the anti-inflammatory effect of different cannabinoids, the different cannabinoids that you could actually use as research was being done. I know for a fact research was being done in Israel that was funded by the United States. And we were gathering a lot of information about, you know, some certain cannabinoids and their effect on cancer and especially on the inflammation effects of cancer. So when did you start deciding that maybe since I can help one, I can help many. Well, um, after that visit, it was about a month later, he passed away. I went back down to Missouri to attend his services. And shortly after that, I started a conversation with his daughter, who, as I said, is a very close to me. And she's also on my kitchen toe team as a graphic designer with me. Um, so I said to her, what if, what if there was a way we could create something with all of the knowledge and all of the connections we have and all of the work we've done and we combine that with cannabis and we help other people have one good day. And that was the premise behind Kitchen Toke. That was the catalyst. And I spent, you know, 20 years in the creative industry and, you know, saving money for, you know, my retirement and whatever I needed. I took that money and I put everything I had into Kitchen Toke because I felt it was important. This was a life-changing, it was a defining moment for me. Kitchen Toke isn't just a magazine, it's, it's, what would you describe Kitchen Toke as? Kitchen Toke is the only media company in the world dedicated to culinary cannabis for health and wellness. We often say we're about getting healthy, not just high. We all know you can get high from cannabis. I personally don't like to be high, but I know that if I eat cannabis every day, all day, and in some quantity, I know that I'm feeding my endocannabinoid system and I know that I'm healthier for it. And that's what I want other people to know. And a lot of people don't understand the whole endocannabinoid system. So when did you start? Have you uh, been taking any follow-up classes or um, are you just still doing the same thing that a lot of us are doing that's self-educating? I'm self-educating and I'm one of those people who are, uh, who is smart enough to know that I need to surround myself with people who know more than I do. Um, I love a team environment and that's where Kitchen Toe comes in handy. It's a natural progression for me. We, uh, I have a managing editor who reaches out to writers all over the country, specialists, doctors, veterinarians, people who are growers, cultivators, 
uh, making products and they provide, they are the sources for our, the, the material that we provide in Kitchen Talk. We report the facts as we know them and as, and as we know them. And as you well know, those facts change based on the science that we're finding out and the discoveries. Absolutely. Now, you know, um, in your efforts to get the, where, where's Kitchen Talk at now? How can people get a hold of a copy of it? Kitchen Talk is printed quarterly. You can get it at kitchentalk.com. Uh, we distribute to, uh, and I should say this, we're, you know, before the pandemic, we were distributing to 2,500 stores nationwide in six other countries. Uh, we uh, can be found in all Barnes and Nobles, Whole Foods stores, Amazon brick and mortar. But post-pandemic or during the pandemic, um, that shifts and change every quarter. We just put out that fall issues you have in your hands there. And we had to limit some of the print run, uh, especially overseas. Gotcha. And, and how are you finding, you know, the general, you know, marketplace? Uh, are they receptive, mainstream, you know, markets are receptive to information on cannabis culinary? Um, yeah. It's interesting because when we first launched Kitchen Talk, uh, two months after we launched our very first uh, issue, Barnes and Noble picked it up and put it in every store nationwide. That was a huge plus for us. Uh, although they put it in with next to Playboy and Maxim and things like that, I, I had to push to get them to put it into the health and wellness section. And I will say now that we're in a pandemic in the middle of a health crisis, in the middle of trying to figure out how to pay for our healthcare, people are much more receptive to alternative and integrated medicine. And how is it doing in like a Barnes and Noble? Is it something that you, they, they were finding their customers were gravitating to? It's doing okay. It's doing okay. I think there's still some push to get people to understand why they need it, what it is. A lot of people associate Kitchen Toke with it's just recipes, but I think as you can see, we, we dial into a lot of different areas in the magazine. We like to explain what the compounds are. We talk about specific strains or we'll highlight that. Yes, we have recipes, but we have easy ones. We have difficult ones. We talk about profiles on chefs and personal stories. There's a lot in there. And, and in, again, in general, I mean, do you get feedback from some of your readers? What, what are, how are you feeling about the feedback that you get? People think that it's easy to digest. It's easy to read. We have, we've more than tripled our subscriptions during the pandemic. So I know that people are now understanding more and more what, I, and I, I credit the, the CBD craze really, because that's got people looking for more information. So yes, the, the, uh, the response to the magazine has been positive. And when it comes to the CBD craze, it's really the CBD has been able to be more, you know, I think accepted nationally because of the farm bill and allowing hemp to be actually, you know, transported across state lines. You've developed out some innovative hemp products like Kitchen Tote Honey and Hemp Honey Balm. Why don't you tell us a little bit about these projects and, and what's so unique about them? Especially talk a little bit about your, your hemp honey. All right. Uh the, well, first of all, I would, like I said earlier, I like to surround myself with people who know more than I do. And in this particular instance, I did not develop it, but I did connect with the people who did. And at, you mentioned Israel. There's a lot of great advanced research coming out of Israel. And this uh, proprietary um, process of developing uh, the honey was created by the founding researchers and scientists out of Israel uh, called Beefuse Technology. And we partnered with them. We should make sure we let people know that when you say it's starting to, it has been coming out of Israel for the last 30 years. 
um, 30 years ago, funded by the United States government. There's a guy by the name of Dr. Mishul, Raphael Mishul, who is literally considered the godfather of cannabis, who literally discovered not only THC, CBD, but he also discovered the endocannabinoid system. And that's the only reason why we know about it today, all of which was used, was done by utilizing U.S. dollars along with some other money, money for Israel. But the U.S. government funded his research. Yep. So this isn't something that is just brand new. This is something that's been around for well over 30 years. He's the one who discovered the endocannabinoid system, the, the, the THC and CBD con cannabis compounds, the compound that we talked about in our latest issue, CBC, canachromine. So yeah, uh, he's, he's been uh, connected with the, our team in Israel. He also is connected with Professor Didi Miri in Israel, who's on the board of this the uh, Beef Use Technology team who's helped us with the honey. So this is um, a, uh, an interesting process. And I read about it in Forbes in 2018. And I thought to myself, is, where is this? Where is, why is this not being reported on? And I tracked them down because I wanted more information. And when I finally got in touch with them and learned more and more about the process and what they were working on, I knew it was more than just a story for Kitchen Toke. I knew I wanted to be involved. We had a like-minded interest in that cannabis is food and food is medicine. So explain what the honey is so people understand. So the bees are um, eating a proprietary hemp uh, oil mixture, and they are breaking down that oil in the, the hemp oil in their bee belly. It's a full spectrum, organic, whole plant um, honey. So they're breaking down the oil in their bee belly. They're adding all the goodness from their bee enzymes, and they're regurgitating the broken down, pre-digested, or, or the digested oil into their honey. So what you're getting is uh, water-soluble, CBD and other cannabinoids in their honey. So they're doing the infusing for us. And then so you, you collect that honey and you serve it up and, and its purposes, what do you feel its purposes? Well, we spin the hives. We, uh, we hand, uh, the, the, the uncapping of the wax is done by hand. They spin the honeycombs. The, the honey comes out and we jar it. We're not adding lecithin. We're not adding MCT oil. There's nothing added to this honey. So I, I think that's important to know. And the purpose of this is because I know that, you know, honey is a functional food. So with the combination of CBD and other cannabinoids to it, it's, it's a very important health property. You can cook with it. You can eat it by a teaspoon. You can, because it's water soluble, you can drink, you can add it to tea or coffee and your oil is not going to float. I think one of the things we forget to talk about in cannabis is bioavailability. Absolutely. And then you take the same honey and infuse it in a balm. Explain that. Well, the bees are already infusing their beeswax. Just like they're infusing their honey, they're infusing the beeswax for us. So the beeswax is, is infused by the bee. We basically take whatever left from uncapping let we uh, the uh, the team in California at the apiary they lay the wax out and let the bees pick any of the extra honey back off of it and they dry out the wax for us. We take that wax and then add it to a bee balm. It's a byproduct really of the honey. And and again, from a purpose standpoint, what do you think? Because I know that you know historically for thousands of years we've used honey as a uh, um, applicant for skin irritation and for other things, what do you use it for? 
why is it to eat? I actually took a couple of teaspoons to calm me down a little bit, even today before our talk, I get a little nervous uh, in front of the camera still. And I use it uh, mostly in the morning to keep my stress levels lower. And I use it at night to help me sleep. Uh, it's very calming and relaxing, but mostly I use the honey as an edible. And I use the balm as a topical for sore muscles, pains, aches, uh, anything like that. Okay, great, good. You know, look, I, I'm at a point where I'm going to have to take a little bit of a break uh, just so I can pay some bills. Let me do that. I'll take a break and then we'll come back and we'll keep talking. And you can explain a little bit more about what you're doing with, you know, uh, uh, the kitchen toke and what you want plan on doing in the near future. Let me ask one question before we do go to break. You were saying, you know, you brought up COVID and the pandemic and how it's affected your business in a way, especially your distribution. How do you think that COVID has affected the entire cannabis industry? I think it's moved it up, to be honest. It's become essential. Um, all of, I, I, you know, we just became legal January 1 in Illinois, recreational legal, I should say. We were medicinally legal in 2013. But cannabis is on the essential list. All of our dispensaries stayed open uh, ever since we launched in January uh, 1st of this year in Illinois. The cannabis sales increased month over month here. It was 60,000 in July. It was 63,000 in August, 64 something in uh, September. It, it keeps going up. Absolutely incredible. Well, look, our guest today is Jolene Rivera. She is the director of, you know, Kitchen Toke, and we're going to continue our conversation with her when we come back. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. We'll be back right after this. So thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And today's guest is a food and lifestyle expert with more than 20 years experience as a creative director, lending her design expertise to clients like Food Network Kitchens, U.S. Foods, Meredith Publishing, Crate and Barrel, and many, many more. She's uh, directed award-winning publications and including Food Fanatics, Sweet Paul, and Uncrate. She's the founder and creative director of The Kitchen Toke. And we're so happy to have her here with us today. Again, welcome, Jolene Rivera. Thank you so much, Jolene, for being with us today. Thank you very much, Montel. Absolutely. Look, you uh, had an article in a recent issue on the importance of a certificate of analysis for cannabis products. Explain what, to our listeners what that is and why you think that's so important to have access to that information for products uh, that they consume. Well, certificate of analysis, or COA for short, is really just proof that whoever's creating a product has had it third party or independently lab tested so that you can figure out what you're eating or putting on in or on your body. Your uh, most certificate of analysis should tell you uh, that this is pesticide, um, metal, and toxin-free, and then probably discuss uh, what the uh, CBD, cannabinoid, uh, THC contents of the particular product would be. Absolutely. And I think that's really important for anybody out there who's wondering, you know, when they, they take their first trip to a dispensary or they take their first trip to a retail outlet that's selling products that they make sure that the product is clearly marked with all of its ingredients and also its extraction process. I really believe that that's something that people should be given a choice on, especially these days where you still have, you know, certain people out here in this industry who are, you know, extracting cannabinoids using, you know, uh, petroleum products, which I think is really ignorant. And there are still people who are out here doing that right now and selling it in the marketplace and people don't know. So it's a good idea that you at least get, you know, a profile of exactly what it is you're putting in your body. 
What are some of your favorite cannabis recipes? Well, I'm going to be honest. I think um, any recipe that has fresh ingredients, I'm a seasonal eater. I think it's because I've been hanging around chefs for a long time. And, you know, there's in every season, you know, there's something available to us, whether it's the heirloom tomato season, the corn season, I'm an Iowa girl, um, or watermelon season. I love the summer months. Um, and then fall, you've got all of your, you know, stone fruits and things like that. So if I can mix uh, some kind of cannabis oil, vinaigrette, dressing, something like that, and really eat fresh ingredients, that's my go-to. My all-time favorite is cutting up fresh cannabis leaves in, and adding it to my salads and foods and smoothies and things like that. But being in the city, I'm right in the city. I'm right near Wrigleyville. Um, it's hard to get fresh cannabis leaves for me. Gotcha. Well, you know, it's really very interesting. When you talk about and we think about cooking with cannabis, I've, I've kind of, you know, again, I, I, I came to this, this industry long before this became Vogue. And I've been involved in, in advocacy for cannabis since 2000. And uh, so this is almost 20 years now. And I've always thought that, you know, beyond the, the processing um, level, you know, the idea of heating up cannabis in on a secondary basis to infuse it in a product, I've really kind of tried to shy away from because I prefer to have you know, we know that we are breaking down the cannabinoids when you heat them up the first time. And in a lot of extraction processes, unless it's cryo extraction, they are still being heated in some way, shape or form. And then people even take cryo extractions and after done, they, they put them in a roto vac, vac that they are a, a roto vac that they are actually heating up to see if they can thin out the oil. Um, talk a little bit about cooking with cannabis and do you really need to cook with it as much as you need to infuse it? Meaning I've enjoyed using my own oil that I produce myself, putting it on food after the food is cooked rather than cook it in the food and raise that temperature up to again to a third time to 350 degrees or something. Cause I believe I'm losing a lot of the terpenes right off the top when I do that. And I'm losing some of the flavonoids when I do that. So instead I put the, after I prepare whatever the dish is that I'm preparing, then I infuse the cannabis in it after it's been cooked. Yeah. That, that's my favorite too, of course, because I think, you know, the, the biggest problem with cooking is dosing to put it in the oven, to cook with it. You're going to lose some, like you suggested, you're going to lose some of that with the terpene profile. You're going to eat it. You're going to lose even more through the digestion process. It's a tricky experiment. So I believe, you know, if you can get that figured out for yourself, that's, that's part of the fun, I think, of cooking with cannabis. But I personally love RSO, and I think it's the easiest way and the most accessible way, especially if you're in a medicinal state or a recreational state to get RSO, it's measured for you. That's easier to add to a fatty um, element, whether it's butter or any kind of oil, and then sprinkle or brush on, uh, sprinkle over a salad or brush over, you know, a chicken as it comes out of the oven. But um, I agree, it's, it's um, you know, we try to walk people through those. We have suggestions. We produce how-to videos on some of that stuff. So it's, um, it's experiment for sure. Well, now tell us a little bit about this article that you recently published on CBC. Well, CBC is cannabichromine, and I will preface that by saying, 
um, while we talk about a lot of individual compounds of the cannabis plant, I do believe that everything is better together, meaning keeping, not isolating one compound over another. I believe that everything is in a full spectrum uh, cannabis profile, creating that entourage effect is always better. So well, that's exactly what uh, Dr. Mishulam stated when he first discovered THC and CBD and the fact that there's now probably over 166 more cannabinoids in there that uh, they work better in an entourage effect. That's a fact. And that's been something that's been published over and over and over again. And why we so blatantly try to separate this out into one or two cannabinoids, I think it's crazy because there's like, you know, like you just said, there's CBC, there's CBG, there's CBN, there's THCA. There's so many different cannabinoids that we literally try our best and like we've done even now, which I think is kind of ignorant. You know, you still have places that are trying to, you know, make cultivars that have the highest amount of THC as possible as if a high number of THC is going to make a difference in the high you get. Um, so I, I, I want to echo what you were just saying, but go right ahead. Yeah, so uh, CBC is, is short for cannabichromine. Uh, I was I was talking about this actually the other day. Cannabichromine actually is like being on a football field. It runs blockers for your receptors. So think of an offensive line who's protecting your quarterback. Um, it runs blockers um, for your receptors so that those other cannabinoids, um, so that your receptors don't get damaged, really. Wow. And then, so you wrote an article about, what's that, do you, um, are you trying to find plants that have a higher level of CBC in it? No, we're really running an article about what the cannabis compound is, meaning there's just, there's more to cannabis than just THC and CBD. And that's what we want people to know. I think the last issue we covered CBG, uh, the issue previous to that may be CBN. We highlight all the different cannabinoids and we choose one so that we can talk about what it's known for and how it works in, you know, in the entourage. Okay. All right, good. Well, what are some of your, your favorite different strains? You know, I was thinking about that uh, this morning. I gravitate, like I mentioned earlier, to an RSO, and I find it hard or, or it's, it's difficult to get, you know, um, consistent things at the dispensary here still. So I don't have access to be go into the dispensary and buy the same flower every time I go in. Um, I've experienced different strains, you know, while I've been on location, when I was traveling, I was always on shoots for Kitchen Toke. I don't get to do that right now. Uh, so I always look for the RSO um, breakdown that's good for me. And I, I choose a, a, a CBD high uh, RSO, like a 20 or 15 to one. So I'm more about what is available to me and then what I can do with it based on, you know, the flavor or the taste of that. I, I gravitate towards the, you know, the lemony or lemonine profiles. So you don't necessarily uh, go in and try one. I mean, I think a lot of what we claim to be strains, we start to find out are different in every, different in every growth cycle. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I don't think people have been able to dial that in that way yet. Now, is there a kitchen talk show television show in the works? I, it's part of our plan, our long-term plan. Right now, I'm still independently funded, uh, independently owned. I'm still, um, we're in the middle of our first raise for our honey. I'm, I'm um, you know, as well as I do, the cannabis uh, 
startups are difficult. They're more difficult in a pandemic. And as a minority woman in cannabis, there are some challenges for me in a predominantly white male dominated industry right now. And I'm connecting with the people in Chicago who are really supporting um, women in the space and really taking time to do that during this pandemic while I'm here. So that's that's been a lot of fun for me. So I'm focusing on relationships right now, growing uh, the brand as a whole and figuring out what our next move is with the honey. We launched the honey product just 90 days ago. That's excellent. What are some of the special events that Kitchen Talk is involved in? Well, before the pandemic, we were doing dinners at Fashion Week. We were producing a lot of dinners uh, for fashion designers after their shows, private dinners. We did some dinners for Bloomingdale's. We've done dinners for uh, rock nation, hip hop artists. We've done backstage concerts here in Illinois, three day backstage stage concerts where we provide infused food for the hip hop artists only. So these are private exclusive events. So we've, uh, we've done that. And then in 20, we're looking forward to 2021 in the fall right now, we're invited to be part of the Jerry, which is a, a golf outing, a celebrity golf outing for Jerry Weintraub. He was a, pr a film producer. And um, Jed, let's say June of 19th of this year, because of the pandemic, it was canceled, but we were supposed to launch our honey at the Aspen Food and Wine Classic and produce some dinners in collaboration with Food and Wine Magazine. And are these, these dinners, when you infuse, you infuse with THC or just allowed to infuse with CBD? It depends what they ask for. Because they're private, they can do whatever they want. But the Fashion Week dinners were CBD. The hip-hop uh, dinners for Rock Nation were, were full full infused dinners. And the um, the backstage concert uh, was CBD because it was a there was a little ambiguity there on public park grounds. Gotcha. Okay. Now, you also have been, been looking into, and I think, did you write some articles about CBD or cannabinoids and pets and animals? And, and um, what kind of products do you have that are available to treat animals? I know that your, your honey you could probably use, though, the, you know, they don't necessarily need the, the sweetness, but yeah. Yeah, I give my dogs honey every day in their food. I they One of them has an IBS problem. The other one has hip dysplasia. But the article that we ran... Uh, I found myself really thinking about one of my dogs was diagnosed with Cushing's and basically she has a, a tumor in her pituitary gland and it's growing and it's inflamed. And I've been thinking a lot about that and they gave me a heads up to think about seizures and things like that. And I, I know that, you know, seizure control obviously is something that uh, cannabis has been used for in kids. So Pets have an endocannabinoid system. All mammals have an endocannabinoid system. So it makes sense that it would work with them. And um, we recently produced an article about seizure control for dogs and a uh, disorder for felines. It's called FARS. And it's, um, uh, what is it? It's a feline audio, audiogenic um, response uh, to loud noises. And, and a cat hears the loud noise and they have a seizure. Wow. Well, I've, I've had, uh, you know, a direct, you know, association with cannabinoids and animals through a very close friend of mine who had a pet who had a huge tumor on its leg that doctors thought was inoperable and they were thinking about amputating and, you know, gave the doc a really bad prognosis. And then they, after they applied and utilized 
uh, cannabis, uh, the dog ended up living for multiple years longer than expected because they use cannabis. So, you know, there's a lot of research coming out. Are you going to plan on doing any more articles in Kitchen Talk about this? It's important to me as a pet owner. So, and it's, it's my entire team has, they have pets in their family. So when, when we have questions as a whole, I feel like that's an indication for the, the public, the general public, you know, my entire family still lives in Iowa and they're a good indicator of what's happening in the cannabis world. So my long answer to that is yes, because there are so many people who still don't know. I have so many questions still Montel about what is CBD? I have someone who's ordering our honey every month and she asked if she could have a conversation with me. And she said, oh, Jolene, I tell all my friends that I order PCP from you. And I said, whoa, oh. <laughs> let's, let's make sure we don't tell your friends you're getting PCP from me. It's called CBD. She's like, oh yeah, whatever that is. So I yeah, think- yeah. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I think because, you know, you know this, you've been doing it for 20 plus years. I'm new. I'm new. I'm not an expert. I would never call myself an expert, even in creative direction. I've been doing that 20 years. I'm still not an expert. But I, I think we are so into what we're doing, we forget how far ahead we are from everyone else. And so I remind my team a lot, bring it down, always bring it back to basics. Kitchen Toke has to be a place where someone can go to feel like they can enter the conversation at any time. Yeah, I think one of the things that's so crazy about this industry is that this industry has done a lot in the last five or six years to try to see if they could um, educate B to B and forgotten the B to C, which is the consumer and left the consumer behind. And that's why we have so many people who still have questions and still think that, uh, you know, even like the current, you know, presidential nominee, both of them, who still think that cannabis is a gateway drug, which is really absolutely ridiculous if they just spend a little time educating themselves. And I think that's part of the problem is, part of this industry's problem is that we don't take the responsibility to educate the consumer. What do you think about that? I mean, that's what you're doing through Kitchen Toke, but I think that how do we convince the rest of the industry to step up to the plate and do the same thing? Well, I, by having these conversations, I think to making it known to people uh, that there, there's not enough information, but also I, I also want to make a point that there is a lot of information out there. I, I saw, um, I saw, um, I can't remember where I read it, but it was um, a note to say that the government keeps saying that there's not enough research done. And I'm, I'm like, that's, it's, I'll save my language, but it's ridiculous because I found a link and I put it on my personal page. I put it on all of our properties. There have been 34,492 studies done by the National Library. It's in the National Library of Medicine. There are studies there. And if you take a look at them, it's coming out of the mouth of a government that has funded a lot of these studies, yeah. claiming there's not enough research, but you know, most people don't understand that. You know, you know, the United States has been tacitly or some weird way funding research at the University of Mississippi for now over 40 years, closer to 50 years. And if the government that's been spending my taxpayer dollars doesn't think that they've spent it the right way, then why do they keep spending it every single year? It's so ridiculous when you stop and you think about the fact that there is so much information out there. All you have to do is take a second. It's like, you know, taking a horse to water. You can get them to water. You can't make them drink. 
Exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, the reason I created Kitchen Talk is because there's not enough information. Kitchen Talk is about education and I'm educating myself along with everyone else. And I think that everyone gets to learn with me. I'm a big proponent of self-care. I've always been. I learned that I had an insulin resistance problem in 2015. I was carrying about 15 pounds of visceral fat, which is fat around your organs. Uh, because of my insulin resistance, I was well on my way to diabetes. I had an extensive blood test that says, yes, you have markers. I'm Hispanic. I know I have markers. I know it runs in my family. And my doctor said to me, Jolene, it doesn't mean you have to get it. And here's what I'm going to do. He gave me a list of foods and he said, these foods can help you stay away from diabetes. And that's when I learned that food is medicine. Absolutely. And I think you know, a lot more people need to understand the same thing. So what's next for you know, Kitchen Tuck? What's going on? What, what's, what do you, how do you look at the next year? What do you think? The next year, we're going to focus on uh, uh, the magazine subscriptions, getting more content. I think people are hungry for content. We're going to focus on getting this honey out uh, to the United States, at least. Uh, we're going to uh, look at possible drink with the honey because it's water-soluble. It's natural water-soluble, so it's quick to absorb, and I, I think that's really important in our industry. I mean, any cannabis compounds coming from the, the plant are oil-based, so it's one of the I haven't been, I haven't really seen a natural water-soluble product yet um, that's not done through a nano emulsification. So we're focusing on that. And we're getting ready to launch our own podcast about how to take care of yourself uh, through food and um, cannabis, of course, uh, in November. We're doing recordings for that now. I'm going to be talking to some health specialists, the people who helped me, who helped guide me and, and help me learn that food is medicine. Excellent. Excellent. I can't say thank you enough, Jolene, for being a part of the show today. I wish you well, and I want to make sure all our viewers know that Again, it's called the Kitchen Tote. You see it right here. You can go out and get yourself a copy of this brand. This is the newest edition, right? Yes, that's correct. Our next one will come out uh, just mid-December. News on newsstands and around the country as we speak. So I know you can find a copy. Or if people wanted to get a hold of it, where do they have to go to? Why don't you give out all your stats? They go to kitchentote.com. Kitchentote.com. And are you there or is somebody there that can answer questions for them that they were to reach out? Is there a number that they can call or they just go up to kitchentook.com and ask the question, you'll get an answer. They'll get it. There's a, there's a uh, info at kitchentook.com and 99.9% .9 of the time I will intercept that email. I really like talking to people and it's important to me. Super. Well, thank you again so much, Jolene, for being here and being a part of the show. And I'm going to say to all of our viewers out there, make sure you tune in to the next Let's Be Bumping My Talk. Go out and get a copy of Kitchen Talk. Educate yourself and make sure you educate everyone around you. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much, Jolene. You always have a home here whenever you want to come back, okay? Thank you so much, Montel. Yes, ma'am. You be well. Take care. You guys take care of yourself. Be good to your family and tune in to the next Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Uh -huh. Uh -huh.